Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Hey, last month... uh... Vicki and I and some of our kids got to go to Italy, got to spend four days in Florence, got to spend four days in Rome, incredible trip. And, uh, you know, all of us, we sat and thought about it, you know, how would we do it different if we ever got to do it again? And one of the things we said was, you know, if we could do it again, we'd prepare more. You know, we were so busy and... uh, uh, the, the kids that went were so busy. Jordan was finishing a degree, and Eleanor was finishing her first year of, uh, of uh, college. And, you know, all of us just had so much going on that when we got there, we thought, man, you know, we prepared, but we didn't prepare as much as we'd like to. Man, I wish I could have read more about this or read more about that or, or even just figured out the train system and all that stuff and renting a car and all that good stuff. You know, it just makes a lot of sense that if you're going somewhere, you ought to figure out how to be once you're there. Well, you know, this month, we're doing a series of message that I'm calling YOLO. Uh, you only live once? Well, that's not really true. Uh, the truth of the matter is we live twice. And this life is supposed to be lived in preparation for that life. And so we've been asking uh, different questions uh, related to it. And one of the questions we've been asking is, is, okay, what is life like after death? And uh, last week we looked at a pretty sobering topic. What is it like for the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ? What is life like for the unbeliever? Today we're going to look at a lot better topic. (laughs) What's life like for us believers? You know, and I'm going to assume that, that most of us here are believers but I don't want to assume that too much. You know, we're going to talk about how you get to heaven because for the next two, three weeks, we're going to study about heaven. We're going to prepare for heaven by doing some research. Now, before we get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of what it is we're going to be talking about today and really this whole month, you know, as I did last week, I just want to throw up on the screen some stipulations. These are, these are some things we're assuming to be true because they are true. We're just not going to take the time to go to chapter and verse and prove them from the Bible. But the Bible assumes there is life after death. The Sadducees, you know, who lived during Jesus' time, they, they just thought that you died, that's it. No afterlife at all. And there's people today that believe that. There's people today that assume that. You know, when you go to Scripture, one of the clearest assumptions is there is life after death. It's either life after death in a place called heaven or it's either life after death in a place called hell. 
But there is life after death. And another assumption is it's conscious. You know, some people for some reason think, oh, you know, it's just kind of la-la land or, or just some kind of a, a state that's out there. And, you know, I'm kind of there, but I'm not there. And, or, you know, maybe even something that used to be taught called soul sleep. No, the Bible, as we're going to see in some of the passages we look at today, is very clear. It is a conscious existence that you have in that place. And here's something else. It's eternal. It's not you only live three times. It's like what Miriam said to me just before the service started. You only live twice, this life and that life. That life is for keeps. It's eternal. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I didn't even bring this out last week when I was going through these things. The, the truth of the matter is uh, that Scripture is so clear about the eternality of heaven or the eternality of hell the exact same word eternal is used to describe God's existence. We call him the eternal father, the eternal God. That's the same way as our eternal life. And you know, it's interesting today, it's real common, you know, because we're so politically correct and so enlightened today, many people are saying, you know, there's just no way in the world God would ever make that last for forever, particularly hell. You know, they never say it about heaven. You sure heaven's forever? Yeah, that's, that one's forever. But hell, and, and we're not talking about purgatory here. You know, that's a, a, a doctrine that the Catholic te Church teaches incorrectly because it's not biblical. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, we're not talking about going someplace and getting punished for, you know, 500 years and then getting to go to heaven. We're talking about hell forever. It's only been in the last 50 years. I mean... 2,000 years, 2,000 years, everyone realized eternal means eternal. But only in the last 50 years have there been some, quote, Bible believers that are just saying, you know, there's no way in the world a good, gracious God would let someone burn in hell forever. Well, trouble is, that's what we was taught in the Bible, and we saw that. Didn't spend a lot of time on it. We're stipulating it, Okay. Perhaps the last one that is most important is, you know what it is that determines heaven and hell? It is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in what he did for you on the cross of Calvary? It is not how much money you got. It is not how good-looking you are. It is not how, how uh, generous you have been with your resources. It is not how good of a spouse you were or how good of a parent you were or how great of an entrepreneur you were. Truth of the matter is the only thing that counts is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He's not a way to the Father, like some people like to say. He is the only way to the Father. And I'm stipulating that today and hoping that all of you understand that. And if you don't understand that, hopefully as we go through this, you'll understand even better. And I would encourage you and hope and pray that today you trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. It's not by works of righteousness that we do. 
It is according to God's mercy that we are saved. And so it is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're kind of stipulating for these four messages, last week, today, and the next two. So what, are, what is life like for the believer? What is it like for a person who has trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, accepted him as, as the payment for their sin, what is it like for that person right after they trust you, right after they die? The brain stops waving, the heart stops beating, the lungs stop breathing. What is it like? Well, here's what I want to do today. I'm going to talk about heaven. And heaven's a big subject. You know, Vicki said, now how many sermons are you doing on it? And I said, three today and the next two. And she goes, that's a lot. Quite frankly, that's nothing. We could go all summer and not get it all done. But we're just going to spend the next three today and the next two talking about this thing called heaven. Now, just some introductory things here, just to, 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 to get it. You might want to jot these down. This is good stuff, if I say so myself, okay? Here's what, here's what you need to remember, some details about heaven. The actual words in the Bible, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament that is, gets translated heaven, it literally means to the heights or the raised up place. And it became known as heaven. And so consequently, that word, that Hebrew word and that Greek word, get used to refer to kind of three heavens, okay? You, you, you'll catch this on. There, there, there's kind of, you know, sometimes they'll talk about, oh, this person was up in the heavens, you know, and, and it's referring to the clouds, the atmosphere. You know, it said that Jesus Christ went up into the clouds, and I think there in Acts 1 it even says it's like he went towards heaven, you know? That's, that's the atmosphere, when I was a kid, just outside of that was, was space or outer space where the sun, moon, and stars are. You got that kind of usage in, uh, I think it's Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament shows his handiwork. The sun, moon, stars, the constellations, all this incredible stuff that's going on with our solar system, our universe, the next universe over, the other universe on the other side, and the universe is next to it, next to it, next to it. All of that is declaring God's greatness. That would be what we'd call the second heaven. But then they refer to the third heaven. Uh, write this down. We'll look at it, the passage, maybe a little bit later today, if not for sure, next week. 2 Corinthians 12. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was saying, I was caught up to the third heaven. I kind of missed that when I was a kid. I'd hear him talk about going to the third heaven. I'm like, what is that? You know, because I lived among a cult that... Uh, had a really whacked out view of eternal life, uh, and they had a third heaven, but it wasn't this one. So, But the third heaven is basically God's dwelling. That's where we're going. That's where we want to go. You know, I don't really want to live among the stars. It might be interesting, but I want to be with God. I certainly don't want to be up there in the clouds because I'm afraid of heights. So, uh, you know, 
the third heaven. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, I think it's verse 2, Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And then he saw essentially the throne room of God Almighty. So one more detail. Here's something that, that I think we sometimes miss. Through the ages, heaven, what we call heaven, is, is kind of changed. Before the cross of Christ, people that died, the righteous, believers, you know, we're talking Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Samuel and David and Solomon, I think they went to a place, the Bible, that Jesus himself called Abraham's bosom. We saw this last week, Luke 16. Luke 16, Jesus tells this parable. And like with every parable Jesus tells, it is a true-to-life story. And so I think that, uh, you know, some people disagree, but they're wrong. Uh, but, you know, that's a joke, okay? But I think that in Luke 16, when Jesus tells the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he was taking an event or a story situated in a very real place about how the righteous go to this place called Abraham's bosom. You say, well, why didn't they go to straight to God? It's because their sins had not been paid for. After the cross, that's when people go to what I'm going to call the present heaven. Got that from Randy Alcorn. He's got a great book on heaven, about a million pages, and you might want to brief through it some afternoon. But uh, uh, that, it, it, and write this down, Ephesians 4, I think it's verse 8. There's this, this verse that's a little hard to understand, but I think what it's referring to, it's, it's talking about how when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he then went to Abraham's bosom, and that's when he escorted the likes of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Samuel, Solomon, David, Hezekiah, etc., John the Baptist, into God's presence. He took them to the present heaven. And you know what? My loved ones who have died, your loved ones who have died that trusted Jesus Christ, that's where they went too. But you know, we know the rest of the story. And you get to Revelation chapter 21, John says the earth and heaven passed away and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so evidently, this present heaven is not our ultimate destiny. There is an eternal heaven. Now, life in Abraham's bosom, the present heaven, and ultimately in the eternal heaven, you know, it's good. It's real good. And you probably, if we had a chance to talk to Abraham once he gets to experience it all, he'd, he'd be like, well, I liked them all. You know, they all were great. You say, well, God, why is God doing that? Well, God has an unfolding plan, and the eternal heaven fits into that eternal plan. We'll talk about that. So here's what I want to do today, the rest of the time I've got. 
we're going to talk just in generalities about what heaven is like. And then next week, in more specific terms, we're going to talk about the present heaven. And then two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the eternal heaven. So, another list to give you. What's heaven like? What is this present heaven like? What, what kind of was it like for Abraham's bosom? And what's going to kind of be like in the eternal heaven? But particularly, what is the present heaven like? Let me give you a couple points, and then in a minute, I'm going to have you take your Bible and turn to it, okay? You know what? And this sounds like, uh, you know, one of those things that doesn't need to get mentioned real often, but it really does because I don't think we think about it as often as we should. The truth of the matter is, heaven is an actual place. Heaven is an actual place. Now, I don't know whether the heaven that, that our loved ones have gone to, where Jesus escorted the, the residents of Abraham's bosom and took them to it, I don't know whether it's in our universe or if it's in the universe next door or the universe on the other side of that one. But it's an actual place. I mean, every time God refer, every time the Bible refers to it, it is referring to it as a place, a specific place. It's where God resides. From the dawn of history, okay, the Bible teaches two things that are that are seem to almost be contradictory, but, but they really are not. The Bible teaches that God is everywhere. The theological term is omnipresent. God is everywhere present. A couple weeks ago when Vicki and I had the chance to tell uh, uh, her mother's story, she talked about how one of the things that her grandfather taught her mother, Babu, Alexandra, who passed away earlier this spring, he taught her that God was always with her. And that was a real positive thing because, you know, with her experiences, God's always with me in the Holocaust, in the concentration camp, in the labor camp, in the displaced persons camp. But it also was kind of this shadow, God's with you, Alexandra, you know, and it's like, why didn't she get into a lot of trouble? One of the reasons, because she knew that God was everywhere present and he was with her, you know, in Dachau or Lubin or Rome. Uh, uh, the other places. But the Bible also teaches that God localizes himself. Do you remember that story? I mean, Garden of Eden. God came and walked with Adam and Eve. Well, wasn't God everywhere? Yes, but for some, some way, he, he had localized himself there so that Adam and Eve knew he was there. Remember the story, I think it's Genesis 28? Abraham, uh, Jacob is fleeing from his family, particularly Esau. He sleeps, has a restless dream, and he sees this stairway to heaven, and there's angels descending and ascending on this stairway to heaven. In the morning, he wakes up and he said, God's in this place. It wasn't like he forgot that God is everywhere present. No, it's like God is everywhere, but boy, God is really in this place. I'm going to start calling it the house of God, Bethel. When they, when they finally built the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant inside, it said God inhabited it. 
And when Solomon built the, built the temple, God inhabited it. So God was there, but guess what? God was also in Asia. God was also in North America. God was also in South America. God's everywhere present, but he localizes himself. You know where God is localizing himself now? It's in that place. It's an actual place that our loved ones have gone to. Here's something else. It's home. You can write this passage of Scripture down, but we're not going to take the time to go to it. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about uh, this life after death, and he said that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We are going to his dwelling place. Our loved ones have gone to his dwelling place. They've moved in with him. John 14, 1 to 3. Jesus said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare you a place so that I can come and get you and take you to be there. You know, it's interesting, uh, the, the semester before, well, actually, the semester before the semester that Vicki and I got married, we had some real dear friends, Ben and Sherry Johnston, and they were going to get married at Christmas time, and then we got married in May. Real good friends. And uh, so uh, Ben and I had lived in this dormitory that was at Dallas Seminary, but then our, uh, since we were both getting married, we decided to get out. And Ben and Sherry had rented an apartment, and that was going to be their apartment that they'd live in after they got married in December. And, uh, you know, so it just worked out for me to live with Ben and pay him some money. And, uh, but think about it. This was going to be their apartment that they were going to move into in December after they got married. You know, so in August and September and October and November, it's Ben and me. And Sherry is going to move into that place. And what does a bride-to-be do with the place she's going to move into? She starts fixing it up. And she didn't appreciate the fact that there were days that I didn't make my bed. There were days that I'd leave the dishes in the, dirty, in the sink. Now, Ben could do that, and he could do no wrong. But if it was my dirty dishes... You know, that whole semester, I felt like a stepchild living in somebody else's house. It really wasn't home. It was just a place to sleep, to park, to eat a little bit. It wasn't home. My loved ones, your loved ones that have trusted Jesus Christ, they are at home in God's dwelling place. They are completely comfortable. They are completely, uh, they're not lonely. They're, they're not, you know, sitting there saying, I hope I can fit in. You know, if you do something for a long enough time, you'll get used to it. They pass from this life and they are already used to being in God's presence. They're in God's dwelling place. Let me give you a third one. My favorite word for men, husbands, 
to be engaging. Now, here I am going to ask you to take your Bible. Turn with me to Revelation chapter uh, chapter 6. This is a passage of Scripture that you probably wouldn't think of too much as telling us about the afterlife, but it really does tell us an awful lot. It's in the midst of of all the seals, the judgments that are going to be meted out during the time of the tribulation. And you get to chapter 6, verse 9, the fifth seal, what it revealed is that John was able to see the souls of some martyrs who had died for the cause of Christ, probably particularly martyrs who had died during the tribulation because they were Christians. They were Christ followers. Look at verse 9. And when he, that's referring to this angel, or uh, the, the lamb, when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. And look at this. And they, these souls underneath the altar, these people, real live people who had died because they had the audacity to be believers in Jesus Christ, what are they doing? They're crying out and they're saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who still dwell on earth? And there was given to them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. Now, just just think about that. It's talking about a whole bunch of other stuff, but here are people in God's presence, at home with the Lord, but they are totally conscious. They're engaged in what's going on. They actually have the, uh, the uh, awareness to know that justice hasn't been accomplished for them. I mean, I was murdered because I was a Christian. And God, you haven't done anything. I mean, Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I mean, where's the vengeance, Lord? I mean, and so they are, they're, they're, they're totally engaged in the affairs of heaven and the affairs even of earth. There's an awareness that they have. Now, I'm going to make an assumption, but I think it's a really safe assumption. And other people make it, so I can't be too far off. The truth of the matter is, these people represent people that are dead, believers that are dead. If these guys had that kind of awareness, if these guys had this kind of understanding, if these guys were sitting and saying, this isn't making sense, why shouldn't we think that my mother-in-law or my father or my mother or my brother-in-law don't have that same kind of awareness. I mean, in a way, you could almost sit and say, these guys are praying because what is praying? It's asking God for things. They're asking God for justice. And God says, 
in a minute. I'll get to it. I mean, there, there, I think here you see a, a glimpse into what life is like in this present heaven. They're not just totally oblivious to what's going on here. Now, other passages of Scripture talk about how they're at peace, they are rested. Even in this passage, it says, hey, just, just rest. And they didn't say, well, I don't want to rest. I'm, I'm sick of this. Now, get going on this, God. No, they, they heard the Word of God, and they totally accepted it, and they were at rest, they were calm, and they were collected, the whole thing. But there was even some quandary in them. They didn't fully know. You know, one of the passages of Scripture that I think is actually describing our state in the eternal heaven is in 1 Corinthians 13. Now I see in part, but then I will see fully. Now I know in part, but then I will, be, I will know fully as I've been fully known. I think Paul, when he wrote that, was talking about our eternal state. These guys, they didn't know all the answers. They didn't know, how is this going to work out, God? Presumably, these guys even, this gets kind of, yeah, the timeline it here. These guys, you would think, theoretically, would have read the book of Rome, Revelation, and they know the end of the story. But they're saying, God, this is taking too long to happen even though they've read all the way to chapter 22. Maybe that's the kind of existence that people in the present heaven have. But they're not upset. They're not stirred up and saying, I'm just, I, I've got a bone to pick with God about this thing, about his timing. I prayed and prayed and prayed for that grandkid, and he still isn't saved. I mean, how in the world can they have this awareness of all this garbage that's going on on this earth? Can you imagine what our saints that, that are, are, if they really are aware, which I think they are, are thinking, they're like, God, thanks for getting me out of here before that pandemic, before that revolution, before all of those people lost their minds. I mean, they're, they're at peace and, and, you know, we're just looking at this one passage, but, but there, it, it talks a lot about how people are rewarded for their faith and rewarded for their works. And, and why would God reward them? I don't think he just rewarded them so that we'd have medals on our chest to show off. It, it, those rewards are, are measures of authority. You know, well done. You did well with one city, now I'm going to give you ten cities, etc. I mean, they're engaged in work. It's, you know, the, these, these knuckleheads that think heaven is a boring place just obviously are not reading the Scriptures. You know, I don't exactly know all that we're going to do up there, but I'm pretty sure it isn't going to be boring. I think it's going to be very engaging, and you're not going to be sitting and saying, how long till dinner? Can we get this over with? It, it is going to be an engaging time seeing what God has done and is doing and will do in the future. One more thing. Uh, seems like it ought to 
just go without saying. You know what the present heaven is like? It's heavenly. I think there is a culture of heaven where even though you're conscious, even though you're aware of injustice, even though you're aware of things that you don't fully understand, even though you're maybe even aware of conflicts that you had here, all of that is done in a sinless, wonderful, affirming culture. I think there is a culture of heaven that is there. When they talk, they're not talking like we talk. They're talking like you're supposed to talk in a Christ-like way. When, when there's, you know, if it happens, if, if, if there's something that needs to be resolved, it's resolved in a heavenly way. Let me give you two verses there. Matthew 6, 10. You know what that is? That's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Jesus, the disciples wanted to know, hey, Lord, how do we pray like you? You you got that thing down pretty good. Can you teach us to pray like you? He said, sure, here's how you do it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just think about that line, on earth as it is in heaven. See, up in heaven, people talk to each other. Up in heaven, people relate to each other. Up in heaven, evidently, people have memories and are aware of injustice that is yet to be totally ironed out here on earth. But they're not squirming. They're not avoiding each other. They're not, uh, you know, harboring anger and bitterness. They're not trying to find the heavenly counseling center so they can work it out. It's all worked out. There is a heavenly culture that is going on in how you communicate and how you work and how you relate and how you deal with the things you don't fully understand just yet. And what Jesus said we need to pray is that it would be here on earth, and I think he's particularly saying, pray that you here on earth would function like you will when you get to the present heaven. Now here's where, here's where I think it gets really practical. I think that what Jesus is saying there in that prayer, what we need to be praying is that While we're here on earth, we will function, we will operate, we will communicate, we will relate like we're going to do it up in heaven. Is that how we talk to each other now? Is that how we forgive each other now? Is that how we relate to each other now? Jesus said, pray based on God's holiness. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come based on his purpose. Help me to live on earth like I'm going to live in heaven. Help me to now adopt 
the culture of heaven. You know, it's really what the so what is. I always like to, to, to bring it back to so what? What do we do with all this? Here's what it is. If you are here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior and your destiny is heaven, start living like it now. That tough meeting that you've got tomorrow, handle it as if you were in heaven. That, 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 that disappointment that you have now because something hasn't happened in the timing that you think it should have happened, or maybe even it won't ever happen the way you think it should happen. Handle it now like you'll handle it in heaven. There's nothing now that limits us from adopting the culture of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And so let's start living like citizens of heaven here and now. That's how our loved ones are living. My dad, my mom, my brother-in-law, Vicky's father, Vicky's mother, your loved ones. That's how they talk to each other. That's how they deal with the, the injustices that, that maybe haven't yet all gotten ironed out. And when they hear wait from God, they don't stomp their feet and sulks. They're saying, yes, Lord. That's how I can do it. That's how you can do it. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ and your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, Start living like a citizen of heaven. Adopt the culture of heaven. We are not of the earth. This world is not our home. We're on the way to the present heaven. We've just yet to get promoted there. And there is a culture of heaven that Jesus said we ought to pray for here. You and I had another verse up there, Colossians 3.1. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And then what does Colossians 3 go into? It's all this really practical stuff about how you deal with this person and this person and this person and this person. Eventually it gets to how I'm supposed to do, relate to my wife and how she's supposed to relate to me and how my kids are supposed to relate to me and all, all of that. All this practical living, and what's the, the overarching principle about how to do it? Set your mind on things above. Live now like you're going to live in heaven. Are you doing that? Heaven is a wonderful place. It's filled with glory and grace, like the old song said. But the truth of the matter is we can have heaven now and experience that heavenly culture now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, just kind of get going on what heaven's going to be like. And I pray, Father, that we would be mindful that uh, that's not just our... Uh, our destiny, that's supposed to be our pattern for now. 
we're heading to your dwelling, but we don't have to wait until we get there to start living like we will then. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that really and truly is not certain of just where they're going to end up, I pray, Father, that today they would recognize that they're sinners, just like all of us, who have fallen short of your glory. But you, being rich and generous and merciful, sent your Son to die in our place, to take our punishment. And you invite us simply to trust in what he did on the cross. And so, Father, if there's someone here today that has not trusted Jesus Christ, I pray that they would trust in him for eternal life. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.